Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Interviews are conducted with individuals who are doing clinical work, as well as leading attachment theory researchers. Your host, Karen Doa Buckwalter, will introduce you to Carissa Woodwike, who will discuss the importance of feeling known. Carissa Woodwike is a Korean-born adoptee, wife, mother, writer, speaker, marriage and family therapist, and advocate for the human heart. In each of these roles, she offers her story and voice in ways that invite young people to connect with themselves, with others, and with God. She is a co-author of Before You Were Mine, Discovering Your Adopted Child's Life Story. She and her husband have two children and live near Grand Rapids, Michigan. Now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Well, hello everyone. I am here on the Attachment Theory in Action podcast today with a really wonderful guest. And she is a mom and a therapist and an adopt adult adoptee from South Korea. And I actually sort of met her online through a wonderful video that she has um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that but Carissa welcome I'm so happy to have you here hi so great to be with you thanks for having me yeah so so share with folks a little bit about your background and I know your personal background and your professional background are so influential in the work that you do so just share a little bit about that for us okay where to begin um well currently who I am right now I always feel like I'm playing lots of different roles but mostly right now um besides being a wife I'm a mom to two kiddos uh age nine and seven and we live near Grand Rapids, Michigan, that takes most of my time and most of my energy. Mm-hmm. I also have a private practice, so I'm a, a therapist, marriage and family therapist, and I get the privilege of sitting in a space and creating just a safe place for people's, I would say, humanity to just be expressed and heart to be heard, and I find that mysteriously sacred uh, both ways. So. Um, that's what I get to do professionally. Um, I am a Korean-born adoptee. I was adopted when I was five months. And I don't know if we'll get into the little details later, but what I know of my story, I was placed in an orphanage right away and then moved to a foster home for a time being. And then my adopted parents adopted me uh, when I was five months. In that time, in 1970, well, I was born in 74, adopted in 75. In that time, you know, we just didn't talk about the impact of not staying with first parents, um, with birth parents, and how that impacts the brain, the body, the heart. Um, So I was the adoptee who adapted really well. Um, according to what you saw on the outside. And so I really was, I call it a good girl for, for most of my um, in-home years. Oh, so what does that mean now, you are now? <laughs> right? Well, it, it, just a clue, now I say I'm a recovering good girl. Okay. So, uh, yes, I, on the outside, looked very 
our culture's definition of what that looks like. So I did what I was supposed to. I was obedient. I was respectful and kind. I didn't show a lot of emotion, and we'll get into that, I'm sure, later. But um, So I also had a brother who was adopted within the first week of when he was born. He is Caucasian, and he was domestically adopted. So he was 14 months older, um, so I grew up with one brother. And then I think just another dynamic of our home, besides growing up in the 70s and 80s, my father was a pastor in the evangelical world. So I definitely believe that that shaped and formed me and our family and how, you know, we grew together. So that was a big dynamic. And I would say another dynamic is just being in a mostly white dominant culture. So that's another layer too. Mm -hmm. So, um, grew up pretty, I mean, if we're gonna, we can dive all into this, but pretty normal world. Um, just socioeconomically, educationally, um, professionally and personally. So on the outside looking in, you could easily call us a good, typical, blended family. Yes. <laughs> blended in the sense of, um, you know, racial, ethnic blending. Right, right. What would you say if someone was looking inside of you personally was going on during those times? And, and would you have been able to articulate it at that time? that's what's the tricky thing as an adopted person um again because of the time and culture and then also just our family faith culture not talking about not naming let's just even say the glad mad sad scared and then also not learning what to do with that i would say the average person would have looked at me and said She's great. She's doing great. She's stable. Um, so on the outside, I think he would really have thought I had done well. Now, what I remember feeling inside, I would just say I just felt pretty bland. So I wasn't the person who was deeply depressed or even deeply emotional or deeply dramatic. Um, I just maintained it was, I did feel glad, mad, sad, scared, but minimally, and then I quickly moved past that. Mm -hmm. So what I found, I would say, value in and identity in was my performance and my pleasing and my perfection, because I was pretty good at all of those. Mm -hmm. um, and again, not in a loud way, but just in a quiet, consistent way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And... So, you know, going back just to your talk um, that I, I mentioned at the beginning, I felt when I first heard that talk a sense of, I guess, so, conviction or something as a therapist, because it was about listening. It was also about the sort of rescue idea that we have going on with the orphan movement and, and we're going to go in and rescue these children. 
it just sort of turned everything upside down for me and made me feel like, am I even listening? Or am I sort of just imposing these ideas that I have? I'm reading books, I'm reading research, I'm trying to understand dynamics of adoption and international adoption and loss of early caretakers. And it sort of just stopped me in my tracks of, but that's all what I'm doing and, and how I'm taking in the information and am I really listening? So tell me a little bit about that talk and the meaning of that talk and, and what you wanted people to get from it. Well, that was quite an adventure. Uh, let me just set the stage in saying that I was asked to speak to um, adoptive parents and adoptees at an event about what it means to listen to the adoptive person's heart. At that time, um, I would say that I had minimally thought about my story in that perspective, but had been introduced to my heart, just not always connected it to the relinquishment and the early loss and the rupture. So as I started writing that, I, I myself was blown away at what came out of me. And even though it's not super connected to my personal story, it is. Um, but what I found as I wrote that and as that came to completion was how much was inside of me and my longing to still feel heard, wanted, needed, understood. But I would say the word that still now, this many years later after writing that piece, the word that still um, hits me the most and still is a longing is to feel known. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was written on behalf of the human heart of someone who has lost someone significant people so early in life. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to say was, here are all the things, good things, that professionals and parents and advocates are doing, it, but this is what we need you to be, and that is to be with us, with your presence, with your humanity, and truly just entering into our humanity versus rescuing us with a method or a rationalization or an explanation of why we should or shouldn't feel mm. feeling. So to me it was, here are all the things that you are seeing and witnessing and experiencing with those of us who've had relational rupture and loss early on, but what you're doing about it is not as important as just entering in into the hard places, into the mad, sad, and scared with us. And actually in that talk, what kind of came out was as you do that, and as you start naming the mad, sad, and scared in your own story and in your own heart, it actually might connect us and join us in a way that could be healing for all the people who are in that space. So that could mean adopt a parent and adopt a child, but it, I also would say to the broader adoption triangle that we have going. What if we did that not only for the adoptive parent and the adoptee, but also to the birth parent? Because we've all experienced loss 
and rupture and brokenness, which means all of our stories hold so much potential for beauty and healing and wholeness and redemption. Mm-hmm. So for me, that listen talk even um, initiated some more. I probably could write a, like a listen part two. Um, a do, it, listen, do it, do <laughs> it. Triad, because we do need one another's stories. We need each other's faces. We need each other's presence. And I think that the healing in and among the adoption triad is so connected to the healing and wholeness in the whole adoption movement, if you want to call it that. I don't love that word, but that's okay. Um, but right, the connectedness, the healing, the presence that happens in that triad is so going to impact, I think, what the adoption world and community has to tell the world about the ability that brokenness, um, out of the brokenness, can rise so much beauty. So I think it's taken such a broader... um, But yeah, in that moment, in that listen piece, it was, will you just take the time to lean in, be still, be present, and listen to our hearts? Because that's the place where the healing needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I believe that as we, I love Dan Siegel's words always, that the more we feel felt, um, the more I believe that healing, that's where healing takes place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that listen piece, Karen, was, um, it surprised me. And I'm so grateful that it was a gift to the adoption world. Yes, yes. Well, as you're talking, I'm I'm thinking of a couple of things. One, I'm thinking, you know, one of my teachers and mentors, Michael Trout, he says, it's not about technique. It's about a way of being with people. Mm, Yes. um, I've run off and learned a lot of techniques, and that I think that makes me feel a little more confident and secure, but that's really not what it's about, is it? So how do we don't offer presence as you're offering the practices, the practices will only take you so far. Yes. And I do believe that someone's ability to offer presence is so directly related to how much they've gone into their story and into their heart too. So one just kind of begets the other because the practices, what I, what I know you're specialized at, it is so helpful and so needed also. So to me, it's just a combination of both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can't have one without the other. And I love what you're saying about bringing everyone together for healing. Um, why do we have this idea that we have to be, like, all okay and just help the child? Um, I love what you're saying, and I've seen... I have seen connection between children and parents when parents make themselves vulnerable. You know, it's amazing even if a parent shares a difficult time as an adolescent with their adolescent child, you know, this could be a kid that's never listening to you and is tired of your lectures and your roles and whatever. But when you go there, they're riveted to what you're saying. Yeah. And and, and I think I don't, know why we have this idea to avoid that mutual vulnerability yeah that's a great word to say yeah yeah and it's it's mutually empowering it's 
it's yeah mutual I, I think another uh, word that I've often used as I've learned to articulate my heart um, in the adoption community is this two-way street two-way street and again historically it's felt like and I do believe people have begun to own this it's felt like the child is the needy powerless helpless victim and the adoptive parent is the rescuer the healer and and one of the things that many parents have said to me as I've spoken to different groups is Krista when you say we don't have to be the healer and we actually aren't the healer it actually frees them from this responsibility because I think so many adoptive parents go into adoption or even foster care and say I have to heal this kid because that's my main purpose. And I think the main purpose of a, anyone coming into um, a child whose story started with loss and rupture is relationship and connection because that's what got distorted. That's what got ruptured. It, um, and so, yeah, so I think looking at it as a two-way street and as a mutual relationship and a mutual healing path it frees everybody from any over-responsibility, and I think it gives you a path forward um, of hopefulness rather than a goal. Right, right. And how do you see, I think at the same time, we both agree a parent has to have some strength, has to be there for the child to rely on them, we don't want them falling apart around their child on a regular basis or something like right. that. So, so how do we balance that? What, what do you say to that? Oh, that's a good, that's a big question. Well, it's funny we talk about this. Uh, we, there's a retreat here in Michigan, in Michigan for adoptive moms next weekend. And they've asked me to come talk about <laughs> uh, the adoptive parent story and how connected it is in their healing and wholeness and how it's so connected to um, the adopted child's story of healing and wholeness. So, you know, the saying is out there, we can only take someone as far as we've gone. I believe that as a therapist, I believe that as a parent, I believe that as a friend, and, you know, that applies to all the different areas. So... I would say it's so important that a parent, but I could even add professional in there, that a parent goes on the journey of learning and finding who they are so they can, in relationship, offer that as a gift rather than find their validation and worth through what works or doesn't work with their child. Wow. I think that that's um, universal to parenting, not just Yes, adoptive. I was just going to say, that that's everyone. That's not just an adoption. Yeah. Because we, again, I think one of the core ways that brokenness hits each of us is we forgot who we are. And it's not that we have to strive to become someone I actually think it's remembering who we are already. It's just that people, experiences, events, 
we forgot that or we were fed lies because of different negative experiences, right? So it's knowing who we are so we can offer that, expecting nothing in return. Now, that's the perfect world. So what I love about what I've learned in the adaption world, just to bring this full circle a little bit, it's not, again, even finding who you are and knowing who you are and offering that. It's, it's allowing that when the rupture, when the mistakes happen, that instead of rationalizing or explaining um, or sweeping under the rug, that we actually learn how to repair, be vulnerable together, listen to one another. It is in that repair that creates connection. So I'm not advocating for, hey, figure this all out, read all the books, do your own internal inward journey, and then you'll be a great parent. I'm just saying that will help for when you do have the pain, the hardship, the rupture, in knowing how to repair and being human together mm -hmm. so that a healing can happen in relationship and connection. Mm -hmm. So it's, that, it's not that we become better um, um, problem um, warriors. <laughs> I just think that we learn how to actually enter into the problem and into the pain and learn what to do with it in relationship through connection. That that's what heals us. That's what redeems the story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And of, obviously, I am such a fan of what you're saying and what you've been sharing um, in the adoption community. And, and I know you blog and things, too. Have you gotten any pushback? Um, <laughs> Well, 
would come back with saying, God grieves that that child lost his or her first parents. But he's also a God about uh, redemption, and he can use that very, very awful, hard, hurtful thing for good. Mm. And so, yes, in adoptive families, a child can be placed. Um, and so the, the repair and the redemption and the restoration, I think, can happen in relationship with that adoptive family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had a little pushback about that. Yeah. Um, I, but, I think, you know, sometimes I've said adoption is born of loss. And that sometimes doesn't go over real well either. I think it's a similar idea on all angles. Often we're also dealing with infertility in adoptive parents and not that there can be other losses, but I think we want to tie it up in a really nice package and make it just this really wonderful, positive thing. And I think that's probably been a disservice to everyone in the triad. Yeah, and I, and so one of my, um, one of the the important things that weighs heavy on my heart when I'm speaking to any kind of an adoption um, group is I I want to carefully and with caution talk about that tender, delicate tension, mm-hmm. and I hope my heart is that I can name the both and for each person and part of the triad. And that means we both have loss and we both have, or, or we all have loss. We all have gain. Mm-hmm. And I think if we just go back to the whole, like, have I had any pushback or resistance? It would more be, I think just emotionally from adoptive parents. It's that, that tension of, I think, the invitation, but really the necessity that I'm saying to especially adoptive parents is, I'm asking you to name and hold the reality that for you to have gained a child, we had to lose our parents. And again, lots of different reasons why, some explainable, some non-explainable. So that resistance is, oh, Krista, you're making my heart now feel the hard feelings, not just the celebratory good feelings. And so if you want to talk about some resistance, I don't think, again, that's any personal attack against me. I think the majority of of people have said, no, yes, that's so true. Either I haven't wanted to think about this or I haven't even been introduced to that idea to think about it. So, so much grace for parents in that. I don't even think, Karen, as adoptees, we have even named the reality of that both and. So I think adult adoptees now, because of the platform they've been given, because of blogging and the internet, I think they're bleeding out loud and talking about all the loss and sadness and grief inside of them. Sometimes I think that's helpful, and a lot of times I don't think that that's necessarily helpful because I still believe in redemptive storytelling, not just storytelling. So anyway, I think that then the adoptive parents are overwhelmed with all this emotion, and especially a lot of mad, but I think it's really sad mad. Um, And so I think that that's been really hard for the adoptive parent part of the triad 
um, to really listen to because it's just conversing out, you know, over, over the interweb. So, um, but yeah, the tension's there and the resistance is there because that's just our human heart. We don't want to feel badly. Mm-hmm. We want a good solution. We want a happy ending and we want a good story. But a good story never <laughs> becomes a good story without the character going through um, the pain and the suffering. Mm. Gosh, that is so true, what you're saying. Well, I want to thank you so much for being able to talk with me today. And I know we're getting towards the end of our time here, but I just think there isn't another voice out there like, like, just like yours that I'm hearing. And, and I so, so appreciate, you know, what you're bringing to us as therapists and parents, adoptive parents or not, you know, the, the truths that you're sharing are so important. And like you said, in many ways, so freeing, um, a little bit scary, maybe, <laughs> sure. yes. but, but yeah, yeah. So, um, it's scary. I, I really would say scary because we just don't have a lot of practice. Like who gave us a manual as we were growing up on our mad, sad, and scared? Right. No other manual. So it's all new for us to practice, whether it's with our partner, whether it's with our kids. We're we're just and I love. I keep hearing a woman's voice um, at a conference I went to years ago, and she was a (coughs) grandma, and she was teaching us how to enter in. And she was using her grandchild as she spilled flour all over her kitchen floor. And she's like, of course, instantly you just want to yell because you're mad that there's a mess. But here's what I'm learning to do as the grandma, she said, to just look down at her and say, it's okay, honey. We're just learning. And so I hope we offer ourselves grace. We're all just learning. That's so beautiful. So, yeah, much grace to the people who are listening in this of it's okay. And it's just using our mistakes for good. Yes. Um, and we, we get up and we try again because we're just learning. Yes. Yes. Well, wh- where can people find your talk that we've referenced several times and your blog? And you've done some other writing, too. Tell us where we can find more of your message. <laughs> Well, the talk um, on video, and it's called Listen, and you can just Google Carissa Woodwike and listen, and I'm sure it'll pop up. Um, I do have a blog at WordPress under Carissa Woodwike. I haven't blogged there for a while. I mean, like, two years a while. Okay. Um, But I think about it all the time, just as much as I think about writing a book all the time. But there is, I really did start an adoption series. That blog wasn't started to be an adoption blog, but there is a little series on there for adoption. Um, But also for me, I think one of my favorite places just to write, whether it's about um, Chris's commentary on the show, This Is Us, or (laughs) (laughs) on Facebook, just under Carissa Woodwike, and that's a public page. Um, so I love that. And that's where I share a lot of my heart. And even I always call it my therapist thoughts. Yes. Um, and then, uh, years ago, like 10 years ago, my co-author and I wrote a book called before you were mine, discovering your adopted child's life story. So I know that's still out, um, on Amazon or probably at your local library too. 
And yeah, I think if you just Google, I have done a lot of writing for different places. So I would say, you know, that's why we love Google. Yes. 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 Well, thank you so, so much for being here today. And, um, I look forward to the next time we are able to connect. I know we'll intersect again. So thank you. I so know much. we just might have to have a chapter two. Yes, yes. Okay, Kieran, well, thank you so much for just inviting the adopted person's voice. Yes, yes. To be able to be heard and to be listened to. So grateful for that. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, TraumaAttachmentCenter.com, or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.